guys, you're listening to Bento Podcast. We're a podcast series for and by millennials that talks about topics and issues surrounding our generation. And we're bringing you stories of millennials from all over the world and their journey. I'm your host, Ben, and let's get this episode started. What is up, guys? Welcome to the third season of Bento Podcast. It's so glad to have all of you guys back here again. And thank you for listening to the very first episode of season three. We're back. <laughs> Bento Podcast is finally back after about one, two months of uh, a break. And well, I mean, at this point, you should have listened to the intro and I hope you guys loved the intro. So season three, we're back. We're going to have interesting guests interesting topics again and of course we're going to make sure we can deliver the best podcast for you guys our listeners all right so without further ado let's start season three all right so for, uh, to start season three we have a very very interesting guest we want to start things with a bang with season three and of course what better way to do that than having a guest over so Welcome, Mr. Joshua Teodoros Kurnia. Welcome to Bento Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me here. All right, awesome. So this episode is very unique. Uh, it has a very special guest. We have Joshua here, Indonesian, now American. And this is basically an, an episode about his story of his lifelong pursuit of the American dream. So definitely an episode to listen to and tune in. And so let me first introduce Joshua. He is currently a creative producer at Instagram. And yeah, I mean, he has been working in the design and the tech scene uh, for most of his life. And uh, he's definitely very, very interested to explore more things in the future and definitely trying to pursue his ultimate goal, which is the American dream. Say hi, Joshua. Hey, <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Thank you for the introduction. I've been, uh, I've been a fan of the podcast, so I'm really excited to be here as a guest. All right, thank you. So a quick note before we start. So Joshua is actually a, a fan of the podcast, and I'm not making this up <laughs> like I usually, <laughs> usually do, but this is, this is real. So he approached me, said he loved the podcast, and yeah, that was cool. That was really, really cool to have someone come up to you and said, hey, like, you know, your podcast really good and stuff. So, yeah, thank you, Joshua. And absolutely a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, likewise. All right. So this episode will have two segments. So we're basically going to talk about Joshua's journey uh, in him becoming uh, an American citizen. And of course, his career journey as well will be the second segment. So let's let's get started with the first segment, mm -hmm. which yeah. is basically your pathway to citizenship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So I think the first question would be, mm -hmm. uh, which is the very basic question of all, is why America? Yeah. <laughs> why America? Um, I think, you know, like growing up in Asia, I, I, I grew up in Jakarta in Indonesia for the first 18 years of my life. And I think growing up in Asia, we always see America as sort of this kind of like the land of opportunities, you know, like the golden star of all the opportunities are out there. And like, if you work hard, you can achieve things. And there's just a lot of like this endless possibilities, right? Like we always see it as the superpower country. Yeah. Um, and so I think 
since I was young, my parents have always wanted me to be able to have a a good future, and they always see America as the 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 most ideal case, like the golden star. Um, and I guess it kind of started from 1998, you know, when there was a whole economic crisis in Asia and in Indonesia and um, the the riot that happened in the country. And at the time, my mom's brother, he was a citizen here in the U.S. already. Um, he's been a citizen since the 1980s. And there was this government program here, um, which is like a family reunion program. And so he could sponsor my family to get a green card. And so that's what he did um, at the time. Um, and that basically started this whole process that we're going to talk later that is uh, essentially 21 years in the making. But that was the the start of the whole thing. It was in 1998. All right. So, uh, so basically, there, you know, there's never been a consideration for any other countries. And like, you've never considered going mm. to other parts mm. of the world, maybe Europe, Australia, because those are mm. uh, pretty popular back in the days as well, especially during the 98. Yeah. Days. Yeah. So uh, a funny trivia is when 1998 happened, my family, we actually applied for a residency into New Zealand at the time. Oh, okay. And we got it. Um, so it was really a matter of packing our bags and move there. And we'll, we would have become the citizen of New Zealand. Um, we have the, you know, like the passport and the visa. That's all taken care of. But at the time, my parents um, were just unsure, you know, because that literally means that they had to start from zero again if we moved to a different country, right, as a family. Right. And so they decided to just stay in Indonesia at the time, but let this process of green card and um, being in America, let that happen. Um, Okay. Yeah, so there has been other considerations, um, but since we are already in, the, in that process, then we just thought, okay, let's just um, continue with, with this America thing for now. All right, okay. Well, yeah. a quick note for our non-Indonesian listeners, who obviously there are a lot of you guys. In fact, there are more of you than Indonesians uh, in Bento Podcast. So the 98 riot that we're referring to, uh, if you look it up, uh, it's, it's pretty easy to find. It's basically a nationwide riot. Uh, in Indonesia back then. It was pretty chaotic. Uh, A lot of Indonesians left the country uh, during those times, um, either to the US, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, anywhere you can imagine. So yeah, this is those times. And if you want to look it up more, I suggest you Google it. Mm -hmm. Pretty easy Mm -hmm. to find. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, uh, coming back to the whole uh, process of citizenship. So you Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. mentioned that uh, your mom's brother was an American uh, or is an American citizen and mm-hmm, already mm-hmm. was back in the 80s mm-hmm. and so and you said it was a 21 year in the waiting process right so yeah in the, in the making um, in the making yeah there was there's definitely a lot of waiting um, so moving on from the 1998 we we started that application process right we didn't hear any single thing until one day in 2008. 
So exactly 10 years, we just got a letter in the mail that said um, it's from the U.S. Embassy in Jakarta. And so we opened it up and they basically said, we started to process your um, green card application. And so, uh, so yeah, so that's the waiting period that 10 years, I would say, quote unquote, sort of the queue or the line um, in order to start the actual um, process. And so when that happened, 2008, then, you know, like all the paperwork and submitting all the documents and everything to get the process started. Um, once we get that going in 2012, I graduated high school. Um, and so I went to the US in August 2012 as a student visa from Indonesia. Um, so I was in student visa here for one year. And then in 2013, that's when we got the green card. So I went back during the summer, I went back to Jakarta for a, a month or so. And we went to the US embassy in Jakarta. And that's when we finally got our green card with us. All right, so um, you, you first applied in 1998. It mm -hmm. took 10 years for them to process it. And they didn't even give it to you then, right? Like, no, not yet. <laughs> yeah. When they started processing mm -hmm. the hope exactly. was buried in, in, in a file stack somewhere for 10 years. And then they started yeah. uh, working on it. And it took five years, right? Five years yeah. for you to get your uh, green card. Yeah. Is the process yeah. always this long? Or like, do you, have you ever heard of any other people's story? Like, is mm -hmm. there someone who got it longer than you do? Mm -hmm. uh, or shorter? Like, is this, is this normal? Like, how, how is it? I think it depends because I've had some friends who if they, let's say they married a U.S. citizen, that process would be a lot faster. I think that would be around a year or two. Or let's say you're trying to, um, a, US is, a U.S. citizen is trying to sponsor their immediate family. So let's say their parents to the U.S., then that process is a lot faster um, as well, probably about a couple years or so. That's what I've heard. I've never experienced that in person. Um, and so it really varies, but because in, in my case, it was my uncle basically, right? My mom's brother. Um, that's not an immediate family. Right. And that's why it took a really long time. I see. All yeah. right, so, you know, basically applying for a green card for you is more or, less, more or less a lifelong journey then because I mean it, it took almost in total about 15 years for you to get a green yeah card. right right a lot of it are waiting basically and then paperwork yeah. but yeah yeah so you know during during this 15 year period which I'm pretty sure you know there's a lot of uncertainties because you have a, a plan for a green card and yet it's not coming out but life goes on you know so like mm -hmm. what's like the the toughest or like the most a uh, stressful part during these, uh, this process of 15 years of waiting and basically, you know, finger crossing yourself yeah. whether or not you're going to get a green card? I think it was probably just sort of the anticipation and a little bit of anxiety because, I mean, we, we didn't have the green card at the time yet. We know that it's being processed, especially after that 2008 
but it's just like the the future is sort of uncertain right because even when we got the green card it's also kind of anxious because then i don't know it's just like a, a lot of changes and uncertainty for your future like am i gonna stay in the u.s permanently am i going back to indonesia like that sort of questions are very um apparent during that sort of that five years from the 2008 even after i got my green card i would say about two or three years after i got my green card that has always been sort of the questions that i have in my mind in my family's mind as well in my parents my sister um so yeah, I would say that would be a different case. Let's say if I got the green card in 2008, I would have gotten it, let's say, then that would be a lot clearer from the beginning, right? But that's not the case. So that's why that, I think that was the challenge of that 15 years of waiting. Right. So now you, you applied for citizenship in 2018, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, you got it uh, last year, I think, in 2018. Yeah. 2019. Yep. All right. So, you know, was that process as hard as green card or was that like a more like, you know, some sort of like a smoother process? That was a lot smoother process because for the citizenship, it's quite easy. Um, so after I got my green card in 2013, all I have to do is wait at least five years before I'm eligible to apply for citizenship. Um, so when 2018 hit, then I just submitted the paperwork. I paid the fee to get the citizenship process going. And then uh, I did one appointment where I went to the office and they took like my fingerprint, take, uh, took pictures of me. And then, there, I, and then I studied for the civic test um, sort of like a citizenship test about the history, about the government, the law, um, but just like the principles of uh, America. Right. And then, and then the next appointment would be sort of like the oral interview. Um, so they ask you uh, questions in person. And from there, I waited for a month and the ceremony, sort of the, the official ceremony happened. All right. Okay. And that's when I became a U.S. citizen after that ceremony. Wow. All right. I mean, so, you know, you see a lot of those in, uh, in, in, in movies where, you know, you have to do the Pledge of Allegiance uh, yeah. ceremony and all those. I mean, it, it's pretty surreal to actually think that um, someone's actually going through that process, you know. So yeah, <laughs> what, what what do you feel that day? You know, when uh, yeah. you know, when you were when you were in the in a sense graduation ceremony. Yeah, where you're started the sudden like finally, you are an American. Uh, you're an American citizen, and not just you know a green card holder, but a a, a citizen. You know, like yeah, it was it was very. Uh, relieving for me like it's just it's been so many years of waiting of struggling a little bit especially during the 2013 when I got my green card until 2018 when I could apply for citizenship I would say those five years are the hardest uh, for me and my family mm -hmm. um, and so I, when I got it it was just like a, this like huge um, pressure or 
off my shoulder a little bit, you know? Right. And right. I was just so happy because it was also sort of like a milestone in my life, right? Like from that moment on, then I know, okay, I guess I'll be here, <laughs> you know? Um, and the, what, the, the cream on the top on that day was they always pick a random person to, um, to say the, I forgot what it's called. It's like when you, um, when you say sort of like a pledge of allegiance with the, with, to, to the flag and they pick one random person to be on the stage in front of this like hundreds of people, they usually pick with like a, a person that's well-dressed, you know, and right. can speak English uh, fluently. And I got picked. And so I oh, felt okay. like Maybe. I was just like a, like a VIP on that day. Cause I wow. got all these like, I could have my friends and my family to be sitting on a row um, in the front, you know, and I don't have to queue with the other people. I just got this like a little bit of like special treatment and I got to say it in front of all these people. That was just like amazing. Wow. That was a really, really cool experience. No. Yeah. I bet. I, I bet it's definitely surreal for you. So uh, you, you mentioned, uh, your family and your friends were sitting uh, in the front rows, you know, they witnessing uh, basically you becoming a citizen. So w was your mom and your dad also there that day? No, they are. Unfortunately, they're not uh, at the time. They're, they're back in Jakarta in Indonesia. Right. But uh, my sister was there, my uncle and uh, a few of my friends are, are there as well. All right. Yeah. So, you know, this whole theme uh, going on is always been about... Uh, being an American, uh, pursuing that citizenship and pursuing basically and ultimately the American dream. So, mm -hmm. you know, what does being an American mean for you? Yeah. And also, you know, your family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, being an American is not so much just me holding an American passport, you know. I feel like it, it's a lot more on the attitude um, that I've been developing ever since I stepped foot in this country that, you know, that I'm able to, that I have the spirit and this attitude of like being able to study and work hard to reach my goals and knowing that there are opportunities out there waiting for me. Um, I always I, I heard people say that, oh, America is sort of the melting pot, you know, of this like different cultures, different people, different religions from different backgrounds being in sort of this one country that is America. But to me, someone, I, I heard this from, from somewhere, I don't remember who it is or where it is or when it is. Someone said it's more like a salad bowl where it's not really you're melting together into this one thing that is America, but it's more like a salad bowl where each element in this dish is highlighted by its own taste and character, much like the people of America where there is, you know, different characteristics, different religion, different beliefs, and they're all accepted just by just who they are but they all work together to be this like one delicious healthy dish and that's america in a sense if that makes sense wow that's how i like to think about it and so i feel like being an american for me is again it's not so much just holding that passport that doesn't give me like 
too much of anything. But to me, it's just um, having that outlook and that hope, you know, that I could, I, there, there are just like endless possibilities that I could do in this country. And that, that makes me energized. That makes me uh, proud to be an American. That's how I see it. All right. Yeah. And I mean, the, the word that you used just now, just a salad bowl, that, that is a very unique word because um, if you really, really think about it, it's really not a melting pot because every, mm-hmm. every, everyone's different. You know, you don't see yeah. them as the same. And yet mm-hmm. they're part of, you know, a bigger thing mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. the United States of America. So, wow, actually, that's a pretty good metaphor. <laughs> the salad bowl metaphor. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And it's, I, I also think that it totally applies to Indonesia. You know, like our slogan, the Bineka Tunggal Ika, I still remember that um, very clearly. And that's exactly like Indonesia, where we have this like thousands and millions of tribes and languages and dialects and religion and beliefs. And each one is, is different. Each one is unique, exactly. you know? Um, so yeah, so I love, I love that. I love that uh, notion of the salad bowl. Uh, definitely. I mean, I, I never heard of, a, of, you know, you, I mean, you've heard of melting pots everywhere, you know, like, yeah. you, this place is a melting pot of culture, you know, this place is a melting pot of languages, but you, you don't really hear salad bowls of, uh, of <laughs> culture and, and, and people. So that's definitely first one for me. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and I guess for being an American, being an American means for my family, I guess, it's more like a dream that they're still trying to achieve. Like they, they really want to be together with me and my sister in the U.S. And so I, I guess for, for my parents, it's mostly just like they're uh, sort of like an assurance that their kids have a lot more options for their future um, being here. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I guess, and especially after going through sort of that five years from 2013 to 2018, where they always have to go back and forth between Indonesia and America every six months, that's a lot of struggle. And, you know, like me going to college and my sister still going to school. So like the financial burden was definitely heavy at the time. And so yeah, it definitely comes with a price and like we're still trying to find the right way to be a family right. uh, while still, uh, you know, pursuing the American dream. So I, I'm pretty sure it's it's hard because uh, you and your sister uh, over there in the U.S., your sister uh, studying and you're currently working mm-hmm. and uh, your mom and your dad still back in Jakarta. And it's, you know, it's a pretty like long distance, like time zone is a problem, distance yeah. is a problem. So I can only imagine, you know, trying to, like, like you said, you know, still like functioning as a family and yet still trying to do your own things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. you know, speaking of which, um, out of all of this, your family seems to be very supportive of you and your sister being in America and uh, pursuing whatever you guys uh, feel like pursuing. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. With with that in mind, like, um, what's the number one thing about America that really, uh, in a sense, makes your parents very supportive of you guys? 
to like stay there, work there. Yeah. What's that one thing? If you have to yeah. name one, what what it what would it be? Hmm. I think it would be the acceptance of people from different religion and races right. and beliefs together without being judged. Like they are completely free to express it and there wouldn't be um, sort of a fear of being judged or being attacked. Um, obviously, it's not perfect as the world has witnessed um, this yep, year with yep. the Black Lives Matter um, and with COVID happening, sort of like the, what uh, I forgot the, the term there, where it's um, the Asian community kind of targeted a little bit because the virus originated from China and all those things. Right. There so is a little bit of like, there, there was a little bit of like tension or... Um, I think the word xenophobia, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Xenophobia. Yeah. yeah, so a little bit of that. Definitely it's not perfect, but overall, um, I would say that that is the main defining factor of why my parents feel uh, confident that you know it's the, it's the right move for me and my sister to be here. Um, sort of that acceptance and just that freedom of um, being able to express what you believe in without you know, fear. Right. Of course. Yeah. All right. So, you know, now we, we, we know exactly um, your journey, your very long journey, in fact, 21 years in the making uh, <laughs> of, of becoming an American citizen. And now you're fine. You, you finally are. And uh, you're also uh, your whole life. You've been working in America. You've never worked in Indonesia before, if I'm correct. Yeah. 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 That's true. That's true. Right. Okay. So, you know, you've been working your whole life in the States. And uh, could you tell us how you got your whole career started? Because it's mm -hmm. not, I, I'm pretty sure it's not the easiest being, you know, uh, I would say a green card holder or mm -hmm. technically not an American citizen mm -hmm. yet mm -hmm. at that particular point in time and actually having a career. Pretty sure mm -hmm. it's not, it's not a, an easy thing, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I would say that the hardest part was just adjusting to how the, to the culture you know and how people behave how people work together here it's definitely very different than than indonesia um i think that and asia in general like just the, the western sort of way of doing and in workplace behavior and all those things are very different than asia for sure um but how I got my career started in the U.S. Um, so when I when I moved here in 2012, I moved to a small town in the Midwest in Iowa. It's called Ames, and so I went to Iowa State University. Uh, I studied architecture there, so I spent five years. It was a five-year degree um, to get my bachelor's degree. Um, that was a huge change. Because if you think about it, I grew up in Jakarta, as we, as as you know, it's a metropolitan. You know, I think there was like 20 million people in it. Right. We have big traffic. City. It's yep. just like big city, growing, uh, growing city, and it's not an established uh, city yet. And then all of a sudden, I moved to this rural, in the middle of the cornfield, because that's what Iowa was known for. <laughs> And it's only 55,000 people there. And a lot of my friends then suddenly became um, 
not the same like the environment were just uh completely different and and so that was it, itself is a whole nother story <laughs> but yeah. basically i spent five years um in iowa i did a couple internships at the time uh architecture uh i i went to san francisco for three months i went to dallas texas for three months doing in summer internships um I think starting my fourth year and fifth year, uh, I started to realize that, you know, architecture wasn't really for me because I, I've always wanted to be in a more creative industry and um, where I could create experiences for people instead of, because the thing about architecture, I, I love, I love doing design work and, you know, designing buildings, designing physical spaces. I love that. But with architecture, what I was feeling like I'm missing is just that aspect of collaboration with other people and that aspect of being in a multidisciplinary team that is creative because a lot of times what I found myself doing at the time was just sitting in front of a computer and drafting sort of the details of the building for the whole day, you know, eight hours a day. And it's just a very technical, nitty gritty, detail oriented stuff. I wanted to do something more creative and a lot more bigger picture. And so because of that mindset, I kind of knew, okay, I don't think being a licensed architect is for me. So I'm trying to like find something that aligns better with my interest and my passion, but still using my architecture and design background. I think that led me to this one industry called the theme entertainment industry. So this includes all like theme parks, museums, uh, live entertainment, cultural attractions, um, because in, in this industry, we tell stories, right? We bring sort of this uh, intellectual property and characters into life. Uh, you tell stories into an experience, an immersive experience for people, but it's still confined within a physical, uh, physical space. And that's what, I think that's what drawn me so much into this industry. And I think that interest somehow led me to, I, I did this one competition. It was kind of like a, um, a annual competition by Disney. I did it with, I, I built my team. It was like a three person team in, in, in my university. And then we did the competition. It was a design competition and we actually won first place. And this is throughout the U S it was open throughout all the U S and I think that, achievement led me to get a job at the Walt Disney Company at the time. That's when I moved to Orlando. It was right after my graduation. Or actually, no, that was um, my last semester of school. So I was doing 12 credit work, full-time student while doing also full-time um, job <laughs> at, at Disney wow, okay. in my That's last semester. Um, so yeah, so when I was in Orlando, I was doing project management kind of for their hotels and their room renovation. So it's very much still architecture and construction. So I, I, I know that, okay, I'm in this one company that I really like about what they do. They create 
immersive experiences. They tell stories, but I I just didn't feel like I was in that um, creative industry yet because of the role that I was in. You know, like I was very focused on construction basically for that role, and so I I try to. Oh, and then because of that competition too, then I got more interviews and I managed to move to LA still with the company with Disney. But at this time, I moved to um, the Walt Disney Imagineering in LA. They are the creative arm of the Walt Disney Parks and Resorts. And they're the one who come up with this new, amazing, fun ideas of how what is the next thing that we can introduce to the theme parks, to the resorts, to the cruise lines. So it becomes a lot more creative all of a sudden. You work with so many different people. You're not just focused on architecture or construction. It started to align more with what I love to do, you know. Um, So I was doing that for a little bit. And then when my contract ended, I couldn't get a full-time job there because they didn't have a headcount and I was completely devastated because I thought, because I, I, I fell in love with the company already and I really wanted to stay. Um, so I moved to sort of a smaller production agency company in LA, um, still doing the same thing. You know, it was doing theme parks and stuff and I'm still doing project management. It still aligns with my interest. Um, and then a layoff happened. Um, some of their projects got canceled. And so there was a big layoff and I was part of that layoff. And so I was kind of trying to find, okay, so what should be the next thing for me? Um, and through connection, somehow I, I, I got a job at Google here in close to SF. It's called Mountain View in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area. Um, So I moved myself from LA to Mountain View um, with this new job and it suddenly becomes tech, you know, like, but the the team that I was in was very interesting because they're sort of in the intersection of doing digital products and physical spaces. They're building sort of this experience centers, I would say where they try to tell Google stories and showcase Google technology in such an integrated, immersive way into a physical spaces. So when a guest walks in, when a, a high-profile client walked into the space, there is a whole set sort of um, experience or walkthrough that they can experience firsthand in this physical spaces. It's kind of hard to explain it through words because <laughs> yeah. there has to be some visuals in it. Right. But imagine it as sort of like a museum for for Google. I would say that that is the most simplest um, uh, visual that I could say. <laughs> yeah. um, so I did that um, for a year, and I, I loved it. And being exposed to the tech industry for the first time. And then after the one year, again, my contract ended and they couldn't have a headcount anymore, especially in a big company. That's always hard. And I was looking around and that's when I found Instagram. Right. And so when I moved to Instagram, it became uh, 100% digital products. They, I, 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 don't do any architecture anymore or physical spaces and it just shifted to digital products but i'm still doing project management in general 
Okay. So that's uh, a long answer to your question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a very, a very long and detailed answer. So I think though, uh, this is a pretty amazing resume on its own. You, because uh, you worked at Disney, uh, you worked at Google, and now you're working in Instagram. So I mean, mm-hmm. that repertoire on its own is already uh, pretty impressive, I have to say. Thank you. So now that, you know, you're not working uh, at all on physical space, like you said, you know, it's all digital. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a completely different thing than what you previously had uh, with Disney uh, and Google. And so, you know, is this your ideal job? And if not, mm-hmm. do you mm-hmm. have one? Uh, I... I always tell myself that as long as I stay within a creative or a design team, no matter what the industry is, whether that's tech or entertainment or anything else, and this team is sort of creating a kind of experience for people or guests or users to enjoy, whether that's, you know, whether that's a phone app, whether that's a whole theme park, whether that's an attraction, whether that's like an architecture piece, but as long as there is like a experience that is immersive that people could enjoy and that has meaning for them, then I'm good. If I'm in that sort of this creative bubble in a team, then I'm good. Um, and so moving forward, I don't really know, to be honest, of what is that one dream job that I've always wanted? Like, I'm still searching for that because, um, because again, it always depends on the opportunity and the team and the company. And so th- I, I would say that, that that's kind of my answer. <laughs> I don't really have like a black or white answer to that. Right. Um, yeah, I do like the idea of working with people, being creative, and sort of connecting the dots of multiple different disciplines, multiple different people together mm-hmm. to achieve this one goal, to create this one product. All right. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you're basically, you know, just looking for the right thing at the right time. And uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people, in fact, even even me, myself, like we're we're kind of in that position where... We don't really have a dream job. We, you know, we just go along with it and find the best we could at, at, at mm. the biggest, uh, you know, and during the time. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think one of the, the the questions that I have would be, you know, you're shifting from a very different space, right? Mm. You're mm-hmm. working at theme parks and all these kinds of things, and suddenly uh, you're uh, you're working on Instagram, which has nothing to do with that at all. Mm. You know, even mm-hmm. though it's designed mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, uh, but overall, you know, throughout your career, uh, mm-hmm. ever since your first day in Disney until now mm-hmm. in Instagram, like, what's the biggest challenge um, at work, or at least in your career? Because you know, you've yeah. like you've mentioned, you know, you faced uh, two layoffs and uh, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, two layoffs or yeah, yeah. So two layoffs, you know, from Disney and Google, and it's just part of the process. You know, it's like it's a thing. So what's the biggest challenge of your career in the States for uh, as of now? Yeah, I think my biggest challenge is really just having faith that I am on track to something professionally. I don't really know what it is. And 
but just having that faith when I went through all these, like either my contract ended or a layoff, um, it was hard because because then it's just a lot of uncertainty and a lack of stability. You know, some people, they just get a good job after graduation. They got a full-time job in a good company and then they just stick with it for six years or so. You know, they plant their roots in one city. They really work in the company and they climb the ladder a little bit, right? Before they move or switch to another company. But for me, that's not the case. There's always something that is out of my control that happened to me every year or so, really. And I keep moving from one city to the other. And so it's just this constant changes, constant adapting to different cities that I think that is the hardest um, challenge for me, really. Right. I yeah. see. Okay. Uh, so, you know, with that in mind, what advice could you give fellow Indonesians who are also working for work in the U.S. Uh, looking for work in the U.S. Because there's a lot of us <laughs> over there yeah. in the U.S. Yeah, for there's sure. A lot of us there, and uh, I think yeah. you know, coming from my friends around me, uh, mm-hmm. one of their biggest struggle has always been trying to find permanent work that's good, yeah. that's mm-hmm. at least uh, stable enough for them to actually live. Yeah. So, what what advice would you have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would say just really don't give up trying, like really try your best. And sometimes you can be more aggressive too, you know, when you're trying to get a job and you're trying to approach um, employers or recruiters or their, the hiring managers, I would say be direct and saying that, hey, I want this job because I think I'm qualified and because I think I can do a good job in it. I think this goes back a little bit to the Asian culture and how we are raised, where we always, not always, but it's sort of like, sometimes we're scared of speaking our mind or being direct to, especially of people of a higher position or a higher rank. Like we all, we're always told just be quiet and, you know, uh, follow what the, el- the elders tell you or what your managers tell you. I think that somehow translate to when we're trying to find a job in a Western country, we tend to be a little bit too timid or we're being too shy or not bold enough in expressing our minds and on our thoughts. Right. Um, and I, even I am still struggling with that. I always, tr- I always try to break that boundary and that barrier. So I, I think that would be my, my, one of my advice. Um, and the other one is always have contingency plans as well. You know, like don't put all your eggs into one basket and have a contingency plan, plan B or C if plan A doesn't work out, that's for sure. Um, And always start small, you know, we don't always have to aim for this big, well-known companies from the beginning. If you get it, then, then it's good, but it doesn't mean that 
joining a small company is bad. Now you can actually learn so much more sometimes being in a small company and you can always jump from one place to the other once you have more experience. So don't set your, your goal. You can set your goal at the very top, but don't just aim for that. You know, like be open to the smaller companies, the smaller opportunities, and you can always build from there just one step at a time. Right. And I know I'm saying this, um, and I do feel very, very grateful that I, when, when I was looking for jobs, I have my green card. I know it's super, super challenging for my fellow Indonesian students and fellow Indonesian people who are trying to get a job, but they don't have green card and they have to rely on um, either business visa or, uh, I mean, work visa or they graduate from university and they only have, I think, three months or so to find a job or they're forced to go back to their, to back to Indonesia that I, I respect all the, all my fellow Indonesians who are in the midst of doing that, you know, um, but just have faith. Everything happens for a reason. And if it happens that way, then just believe then that's what, has been planned for you, for you from the beginning. All right. Well, that's actually a very good uh, advice. And uh, for someone who has very little plans on going to America, even I find that to be pretty helpful because it's true. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you start small and, you know, just, you know, keep, keep faith. I think that's the, 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 yeah. you know, the main message that you're trying to convey. And that's really good. So, mm-hmm. you know, coming to a close, like uh, what's next for you? Like, you know, what's next for, for Josh? Yeah. Uh, I think for me, I really want to find more stability here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think professional lives is definitely one big factor there. You know, I want to find stability and being able to not jump around so much and um, just being able to set and plant more roots in one place. You know, um, I always try to improve myself, you know, self-confidence is one thing that I'm, I'm really trying to build on um, and continue to speak up my thoughts, you know, not worry what people might judge of me and just trying to, you know, do my best and break the boundaries and the usual sort of the Asian stereotypes <laughs> uh, sometimes and, um and while still, you know, embracing my identity, you know, right. I don't want to be someone else. I want to be me. And I'm, I'm proud to be an Indonesian. Right. Of course. Yeah. So you're still keeping that Indonesian identity alive. Uh, yeah, of so, course. Even yeah. though you're an American. So yeah, yeah. of Indonesia, like, will we ever see Joshua back in Indonesia? Is that an option or is that something that's not going to happen anytime soon? Yeah. <laughs> I think it really depends on where my life takes me. I mean, I'm open to it. Right. But there will be a lot of buts in there, like B-U-T-S. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, There will be a lot of buts in it uh, if I am ever presented with that opportunity to settle back down in Indonesia. Uh, And so if you ask me now, the answer would be sure, but there will be a lot of other things that I have to consider if it actually happens. Right. Yeah. So 
you know, uh, after listening to your story uh, about how you became a citizen, how you got pretty good career, you know, your career track record in, in the U.S. have been pretty good, more than pretty good, actually. It's, it's been amazing. <laughs> you know, for someone who just got their citizenship in 2019, you've, you know, you've worked in big companies like Disney, Google, and now on Instagram, all, you know, like American companies, like that's the most American thing you can ever think about. And, mm-hmm. you know, even for me, I would say that you, you are living the American dream, but you did tell me like, that's not really yeah. how you see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, what, what does the American dream mean to a Joshua? What does it mean? Like, what is the American dream to you? Yeah, yeah. To me, um, the American dream is not so much an achievement or that you have to be in America to achieve it. I see the American dream as more like a mindset and a journey. You know, it's sort of this idea and a hope that we can achieve anything if we are willing to work hard, put sacrifices, and pour our heart and soul into. It's like, uh, hope or this ideology that is known by the entire world, really. When you say American dream, most people would, would know or have heard about it, that you know we should always dream big or something bigger than ourselves, you know, to always aim for the highest, but never forget the people who help us along the way, you know, to just stay humble and human as well. So because to me, what defines America is really the people and the human beings living, living in it. Um, and so I think that's how I see really the American dream. And that's what it means to me. Right. Um, yeah. It, it, it's not much of an achievement. It's, it's just an yeah. idea of living. It's an idea. Yeah. 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 It's right. like a, a hope that you can always cling into. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a, a very interesting take on the American dream. So, you know, the title of this episode is Trailing the American mm-hmm. Dream. Yes. And this is uh, a title that you yourself suggested. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we originally planned to, you know, call it Living the American Dream, but you said, mm-hmm. I think trailing is a better word. You know, I think trailing yeah. suits me better. So, you know, uh, why? why? Why would you use the word trailing uh, yeah. and not living? Yeah. Um, so I know when we first had our initial initial conversation um, yep. living, I thought it's an- inaccurate because it almost has this feeling of like, oh, I'm living the dream and I'm done, you know. And that's right. not the that's not the that's not how how I feel right now, you know. That's not the American dream. It doesn't feel like that. Okay. Um, and. If there's anything, it it actually feels like it's against the idea of the American dream, which is about hope and persevering and hard work. And then we talked another um, idea, which is pursuing the American uh, American dream. And I also said that doesn't feel accurate either because yep. it feels like <laughs> yeah. um it feels like I'm chasing something without a break. You know, like I feel like I know exactly where I am going and I'm I'm pursuing that. And that that's that's not the case for me. I don't know what exactly am I pursuing. Like I don't know what would be my end goal there. Right. And so I chose this idea of trailing the American dream because the way I see it is, let's say you're hiking or like you're walking a trail and you're trying to get into like a particular summit or a small mountain. 
you walk slowly, you know, you walk one step at a time, you go, you incline and you go up little by little. And then sometimes along the way, it's, it's, it's really hard and like you are out of breath and you need a break, you know, it goes up and down, the terrain changes, there are lots of bugs bugging you and like your feet might hurt from your shoes, but you just keep going. It's like this idea of one step at a time, you just keep going. Um, and let's say you, you hike or you trail with other people in your group, those people will, in, will encourage you to keep going, you know, they wouldn't just say, okay, let's just go back to our car. They, they help, they help like push you to get to that summit. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what that summit looked like until we get there. Right. And so and even then they will also most likely willing to sort of share their water or their snacks along the way with you. Right. And I feel like this is like perfectly it embodies uh, my journey and my idea of the American dream and what I'm going through right now. And so that's it. Yeah, that's that's how I that's why I suggested trailing the American dream is wow. because of that. Like one thing I can say is that you're really good with your metaphors. You know, you've got salad bowl <laughs> and now you've got trailing. I mean, this is some, like, you know, this is really gold like right here. And it, it, it does make complete sense to me as well. As someone who's interviewing you, uh, I could really picture, you know, your journey as like, as if you're trailing a mountain, you know, you, you keep going, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, keep climb. Sometimes, sometimes it's not a steep climb. Sometimes you take a rest. Sometimes you go. Sometimes you think of going down. Sometimes yeah. you just want to stop and have a helicopter pick you up. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I completely understand that. And uh, I think, you know, I think I agree that this uh, word, I think, should replace living the American dream. I think trailing the American dream should be the new standard from now on because. Yeah, exactly. It, and, it really embodies yeah. uh, everybody's American dream, I think. And uh, yeah. it, it yeah. really suits that. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to with this like, you know, there, there are like a lot of people, each person has their own journey of, to, to get there. And, you know, when you hike a mountain or something, there's always multiple different routes that you can take, but it always leads to that summit or that one spot at the top. That's, how, that's why I, I like that too. Right, exactly. Well, Joshua, thank you very much for uh, coming yeah. to the show. Uh, I definitely enjoyed, you know, your journey and it, it really, really is a very good one. I, I don't think I could really find anyone who has the same story as you do. <laughs> And this is really like once in a life kind of a, a find for me. And thank you for giving me the chance to interview you. I've definitely yeah, of course. Uh, enjoying the whole process. And I hope you yeah. do as well. Me too. I love uh, chatting with people. <laughs> oh yeah. So I'm glad I'm glad I could share my story in this platform. Thank you for having me. All right. Sure. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Joshua. Well, thank you all of you guys uh, for tuning in. And this is the first episode of season three of Fento Podcast. Thank you all of you for tuning in. We're going to have more episodes coming up for you uh, in the coming months, in the coming weeks, in the coming days. And so please, please stay, uh, stay tuned to it. And thank you again, Joshua. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you.